This is Filled with the Spirit with Pavel Goya, Part 2. I'm going to start with a story. In Romania, um, at the revolution in 1989, in December, <clears throat> people got tired of communism and people got on the streets. And uh, it's easy for people here in Canada, in America, to talk about it. But it's a different story to have been there. People got on the streets and said, we'd rather die than to live in communism anymore. We need freedom. And Ceausescu, the dictator, gave order for people to be shot. Tanks came on the streets and literally rolled over students, living students, rolled over flesh. Thousands killed. People got shot in the head. My father-in-law came home crawling between bodies. Students that were protesting in the university were, throwing, were thrown off the window from fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh floor on the concrete. I don't know all the details because I was in one city and the revolution happened in some other cities worse than in other cities. But I did one time later, I was in Bucharest when a student, among others, was thrown off the window and I took him in my car. He hit the concrete and he almost broke. I took him and before he got to the hospital, he died in my car. Terrible. <clears throat> anyway, back to the revolution. When the revolution started, people got on the streets and then the army and the police on the other side. And they started to shoot the protesters. And the protesters would just protest and some of them had rocks or those molotov, whatever you call them, with gas and, you know. But anyway, there was a group of young people, Adventist choir, that they were practicing once a week, preparing for the Christmas program. And as they were practicing, one of them said, we need to do something about it. And the others, what can we do? We are just a little group, and you talk about the whole country that is in revolution. What can we do? There is nothing we can do. And they said, well, we can pray. Maybe God can give us a solution. <clears throat> and they prayed together. When two or three prayed together, they prayed that God would tell them if they can do something to help. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. I don't know how long they prayed, but God inspired them to go out in the street. That's pure 100% suicide. For many reasons. Number one, <clears throat> You don't get in the crossfire between the protesters and the police and the army. You just don't, because you die. Number two, as long as I lived there before the fall of communism, you would never, ever, ever, ever hear anything religious in public or radio or TV. If you would go in the street and try to sing a religious song, you'd be arrested in minutes. If you try to put it on the radio, arrested in minutes. <clears throat> it just didn't exist. And so they said, it's, it's suicide to go in the streets. But they said, you know, if God calls us to do it, we need to do it. I don't know if you or them, if you had the courage to actually go in the street during the shooting. They prayed and they said, we know it's crazy, but let's do it. If God calls us to do it, he died for us, let's do it. So they got on the street 
And they started to sing Christmas songs about Messiah that came as the hope of all humanity. And as they started to sing, instantly the protesters and the police and the army stopped. And for a few seconds, minutes, whatever, they were like, what? And they stopped shooting, stopped fighting, stopped protesting, stopped talking. Just everybody was like, I cannot believe this cannot be. Cannot happen in a communist country. This is, impo- this is real, you know? And then the police came right away and picked them up. Right away. And they knew that's the end. And took them on the next building that was the shopping center on the flat roof. Tall building on the flat roof. And they knew they are going to throw us off the roof. And the police took them on the flat roof. And as they were praying in their mind, the chief of police says to the one of the officers, go to the police station and get the most powerful sound system we have with the biggest speakers. Why? Just do it! The guy goes with an SUV, police SUV, comes back, another four, three, four police officers, they get the sound system on the roof of the mall, the shopping center. And he says, install them. And then he says to the choir, this can change everything. When we kill each other, you bring hope. And in this country, we need hope. So would you please sing from the rooftop for the whole city so they stop killing each other and they get a little hope. In a communist country. And when the choir started to sing, people on the streets, you will not believe, they kneeled down in the streets and started to pray and to cry and to praise God and to sing. And instantly the army and the police went to the protesters and they started to hug each other. And in that city, the revolution stopped. And the army and the police turned sides. They went on the people's side against the communist government. They said, we are with you. That's because a young group of people prayed and they had the courage to sacrifice self for the sake of God's work, to be used for God, to be a blessing for others. People who know God are the people who do what he did. It's good that we go to church. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should not go to church. It's good that we know the doctrines. It's good that we keep Sabbath. It's good that we eat healthy. It's good, it's healthy, it's good. Praise the Lord. But it's not enough. Pharisees did that. They kept Sabbath. They ate broccoli and tofu. They sang kumbaya. They did all of the above. I'm not against tofu. You prepare good tofu with green beans and put garlic on it, I'm coming, invite me, I'm going to eat it. I'm not against living healthy. But it doesn't save unless you are filled with God's presence. What is the benefit to have God's doctrines, to have the doctrines of God, and to miss the God of the doctrines? We must have a personal relationship with Jesus. We must understand his love. Otherwise, we would never know how to love. We just love those who love us, love our families, and that's it. We will never understand what love really means. Therefore, we have no peace. Therefore, we as a church have no success. Good people that we think we love Jesus, we need to be transformed first in order to be able to tell others about transformation. Do you hear me? It sounds tough. You don't like it, don't call me back. But the point is, 
What is the purpose to preach and say you are okay, good job, unless we experience God on a personal level? Unless we go home today and we are not only listeners but doers, we go home today and say, Lord, I really need you. I want to be transformed. Jesus is coming. I can no longer play religion. I really need to experience your power in my life. Do you understand? That's what we need. People that have known God are people that have been transformed. You cannot transform yourself. Trust me, and you cannot, by any means, transform and change others. I tried that when we got married 37 years ago, and it didn't go good. And then I gave up changing my spouse, and I just loved her, and then it went good. You cannot change anybody. But you can invite God's presence in your life. And when He comes, you don't need to worry about growth, because He is able to save the uttermost. He changed the thief on the cross. He changed the woman at the well. He can change you. And so, talking about that, when two or three prayed together, when I was in my first district, I'm not going to tell you where, in the U.S., not in Romania, that's long ago, in the U.S., in my first district, they sent me somewhere in north. It was, I remember, 30-some, 34, whatever, I don't remember, 32, 33, 34, 35, below, minus 34, cold. Now, you are in Canada, you know what that is. But if you tell people in Florida, in the U.S., they don't know what that is. But my wife had boiling water, and when she threw it out, when it hit the ground, it was already frozen. Do you know what I am talking about? Cold. So I go to church, and guess what? In a good Sabbath, Christmas program, there were 20 people in the church. I was like, oh, come on. I am preaching to 20 people, out of which for my family, so only 16. <laughs> Depressing. And then it snowed. And guess how many people came to church? It's dangerous, you know. Oh, come on. I spent almost a year in Norway, and people drive on snow. They drive on ice. You know how many people came to church that Sabbath? Nine. My family, four, and another five. All those five old ladies. I love elderly because they have experienced it. But when you see old ladies between 72 and 92, it's like, come on, is, is, is this a church? I am preaching to five ladies. And they may be wonderful, they may love Jesus, but it's only five. I was so depressed, I said, I'm not going to preach today. And they said, Pastor, we are waiting. Okay. I said, can I make it short? No, do the whole sermon, pastor. We pay the whole tithe. Okay. <laughs> Brother, I was so depressed. I went home, I told my wife, I'm not sure I go back. And she says, did you pray? I said, yeah, I pray every morning and every evening. She said, no, 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 no. Did you really pray? Get two or three. Jesus was pretty clear, honey. Jesus was pretty clear. Get two or three and pray. I said, honey, that's the sermon. She says, no, 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 no. You need to do what you preach. I said, well, if you want, you do it. Well, you are the pastor, honey. You remember? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so I talked to the old ladies. I said, can we meet together and pray? Oh, yeah. I said, what time? Around 7? Oh, we don't sleep too much. Let's meet at 4 a.m. I said, no. They said, okay, five. I said, no, six. 
Okay, pastor, see you tomorrow, six o'clock. Ah, uh, I didn't like it. I woke up at five, changed, 5.30, got in the car. It was freezing. I could not even keep my hands on the steering wheel. And by the time I got to church, finally the car started to warm up. But then I had to stop. And after we finished praying one hour, the car was cold again. And we prayed today, 6 a.m., tomorrow, 6 a.m., next day, 6 a.m., and I said to myself, how can it help? But we kept praying. And after a month, they came to me, and they said, Pastor, since we pray, our families changed. Our kids call us, and they talk to us, and they never do that, only Christmas and birthday. Our kids call us every day, how are you doing, mommy? How are you doing, grandma? How are you? Pastor, since we pray, our families call almost every day. I don't know what is wrong with them. <laughs> and then we kept praying, and the church started to fill up, 50, 70, 100. 120 people attendance every Sabbath. And we didn't do evangelism. I didn't have anybody to do evangelism with. And we didn't do Bible studies. We were just praying together. And three months later, we had 120 in attendance every Sabbath. The conference called me. What are you doing that the church grew? I said, I don't know. I just pray. Oh, you must do something else. Nope. Do you understand what would happen if we would just get together and say, Lord, we really need help? Why don't we do that? Because we trust too much our methods and too little God. We have the theory of God, but not yet the power of God. I was talking to one of my friends, and he said, I heard what you preached, and I started to live it. I want to act, not only to listen. I said, praise the Lord, finally, somebody that is an Adventist. <laughs> I said, no, I've been an Adventist, I'm a fourth generation. I said, no, you just became one. <laughs> and he called me like a couple of months later and he said, you know, it changed my life. Since I started to pray, I started to distinguish God's voice. I started to recognize when God talks to me. I said, yes, the Bible says, my sheep know my voice. Revelation says, he who has ears to hear what the Spirit says. You remember? Isaiah says, your ears would hear a voice behind you saying, this is the path. And so on and so forth. I could go on and on and on and on. Desire of ages. When every voice is hushed, the quietness of our soul makes possible to hear the voice of God. He says, be still and know. You remember all those things? Why don't we do it? We even sing the song. And he walks with me. And he talks with Does he? He does. But do we listen? I tell people, how do you recognize God's voice? Very simple. My wife and I, you probably heard me telling, talk all the time. I never go to sleep without calling her. We sleep on FaceTime. She falls asleep. She needs seven, eight hours. I sleep only three hours, four hours a night. But she sleeps a lot. She doesn't eat. She eats once a day. I eat 10 times a day. I could eat 20 times a day. I never gain a pound. I know it's not fair. I don't care. I mean, I do care, but there is nothing I can do about it. That's, I am, that's the way I am created. A fast metabolism. And so I eat. 
And she knows that I eat, and she knows that if I don't eat, I get dizzy. And she calls me and she says, honey, how are you doing? Good, how are you doing? Good, I love you, I love you too. Did you eat? No, I am busy, I have a meeting. She says, get a sandwich. Okay, love you. I'm going to call you back in one minute. Okay, make sure that you eat. Okay, love you, love you, bye. One minute later, did you eat? No. I'm going to call you back. Okay, get a sandwich. Okay, love you, love you, bye. One minute later, did you eat? Yes. Okay, I'm going to call you in four hours. Bye. Four hours later, hey, did you eat? No. Get a banana. Okay, I'm going to call you back. Okay, love you, love you. Four hours later, did you eat? No, I am busy. Get an apple. Okay, bye. When I drive home, I go between mountains. I lose signal, no signal. One bar, no bars. Hello. Banana. Love you. How do I know he's my wife? We talk all the time. Since we were children and then we were dating. We have been married 37 years. But we talk before. We talk every day, every four hours. And I know her voice. And she's consistent. I know the message because it's always the same message. I kind of learned it by memory. You follow me? God is consistent. God doesn't change. The way he worked with Abraham, the way he worked with Isaac, the way he worked with Joseph, the way he worked with Moses, that's the way he works with you. And if you spend time talking to him, you are going to learn the voice, you are going to learn the message. But if you never talk to him, sure you don't know his voice. You need to spend time with him in order to know him. How can you know somebody that you never spend time with? You follow me? Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the world. You will be blessed. You will grow. And so I tell people, I said, you need to make it a priority. As you don't leave home without charging your cell phone, you should not leave home without charging your spiritual life. You need to be filled with God. Otherwise, Satan is going to attack you. And so going back to that pastor, if you remember the story that I just started, he told me, I'm not only listening, I'm doing it. I said, you are now an Adventist. You are a Christian. He says, I am trying to do it. And I said, he says to me, it changed my life. I started to recognize God's voice. I said, that's it. And then he said, God inspires me, impresses me. And when I obey and I do it, I have a story, man. Now I have stories almost every week. I said, yes, that's it. Christians have a story. Don't tell me that you had a story 40 years ago. You need to have a story last week. You follow me? And I said, tell me the story not... 50 years ago when I got up, tell me the story last week. He says, I do have a story last week. I, okay, tell me. And he says, he was the pastor of the academy. I'm not going to tell you the location or the name or anything. He's the pastor, he was the pastor of the academy. And he says, it was vacation. My wife and I got in the van to go shopping, grocery shopping. And I was praying in my mind, Lord, I want your presence. Without you, I am nothing. Satan can attack me. I do mistakes. Please, fill me with your spirit. Grow me. Use me. Impress me. And he said, God spoke in my mind. Impress me. Go to the academy. And I said, it's nonsense, but when God talks, it's always nonsense. When it's logic, it's you. When God talks, he says, build an ark. That was not logical for Noah. Sacrifice your son. That was not logical for Abraham. You understand? Joshua, walk around Jericho. Hello? That's suicide. Gideon, go toward 300 people, no weapons. Uh-uh. You understand? 
And he says, God, that didn't make any sense. Go to the academy. And he says to his wife, honey, God impressed me to go to the school. She says, no, that's not God. That's your brain because the school is in vacation. The doors are locked. He says, no, it's not my brain. If it was my brain, it would have said, go to Olive Garden, eat some good food. <laughs> and he says, okay, let's go. She says, if they talk together, if God says, let's go, they drive to the academy. There is a man in front of the gate crying. You probably heard the story through my sermons. They say, why are you crying? And the man says, in short, 21 years ago, I was in this school. They caught me with drugs. They expelled me. Then I was caught to drugs, I went to jail. Then I got out, I was caught to drugs again, I went to jail again. Then I was out, I started to sell drugs. They called me, they put me in prison for a long time. I lost my job, I lost my family, I lost everything. And he said, in prison, I started to think. So I said, Lord, if you help me get out, I will change. And he said, I don't know how to change. I don't know what to do. And this is the single place in this school where I learned about Jesus. So I came here to ask for help, for Bible studies, for help. And he said, the school was locked. So I prayed, Lord, send somebody because I need help. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful how God works? And he says, why are you here? And he says, well, God sent me to help you. <laughs> Isn't that something? When people pray... When people pray. This is what all people of faith have done. Moses was a man of prayer. Wasn't he? Abraham. They talked to God. God talked to Moses. God talked to Abraham. God talked to Daniel. God talked to Joseph. God talked to Paul. To Peter. They talked to God. Why don't we? God doesn't change. Can it be that we are too focused on self? And we never have time to really live religion. We just talk about religion. And it makes us feel good. Well, I go to church and I keep Sabbath. Well, it's good, but Pharisees did that. I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you a few stories as we start. George Mueller. Mueller. This man was an alcoholic, if you read his book. And then he started to read. And he read, literally, Jesus' crucifixion. And he says, in his, you read his book, he says, when I understood that God died for me so I could have forgiveness, that God paid for me, that God took my sins upon himself, though he never sinned, and he gave me his perfect, godly, divine righteousness, though I don't deserve it. And he's ready to save me, and not only, but to use me. He says, I dedicated my entire life to him. I love him more than my life, and I want to serve him, and I want him to use me to tell others because this is too good to keep quiet. So he said, Lord, how can you use me? And if you see that building in the picture, that's Ashley Down building in Bristol, England. If you read the history, even Winston Churchill said, this man, this man saved a whole generation. That's what Churchill said. During the war, World War II, the whole city went to that building, the whole city. And they, he asked them, why are you coming here? Because the bombs are falling on the city. And he said, the bombs can fall on this building too? And they said, no. Why not? And they said, because God's presence is in this building. 
Wouldn't that be nice if people would say, God's presence is in this location. God's presence in your home. God's presence. You follow me? God's presence is in this building. He fed daily 10,000 orphans. How do you feed daily 10,000? That's an army. 10,000 children. They eat like termites, you know? How do you feed them? He says, I never asked anybody for money, never did fundraising, never complained or told anybody our needs. I just prayed. Because he says, I knew that God loves these children more than I do. So I said, Lord, these are your children. You promised. You sent me to help. So now I need your help. And he says, trucks with food would come to the gates. And he says, as soon as I would pray, the food would arrive. Isn't that beautiful? Because he was willing to sacrifice himself and allow God to use him. He had five friends that were non-Christians. They didn't want to hear about God. Nah, that's stupid, foolishness. Nah, you know. He prayed for them. And they asked him, oh, how much are you going to pray? Because it has no effect. And he said, until God answers. <laughs> I'm not about to give up. I am determined to keep praying until God answers. And he prayed 18 months, and the first one was converted. And then he says he prayed three more years, and the second one got converted. And then he prayed 10 years, and the third one got converted. And then nothing happened. And he prayed 36 years. And the other two, the last two, were not. They said, you can pray and die praying. We don't care. 36 years. And then he kept praying, and he was 70, and he kept praying, and he was 90, and he died at 93. And he had been praying 73 years for his last two friends. Do you have the patience to, pay, to pray 73 years for somebody? Uh, I'm not sure about I, me doing that, you know. 73 years and he died. After he died at his funeral, one was converted and four months later, the last one. When Jesus comes, he's going to see the two. Uh-huh, my prayer did work. Post-mortem, but did work. <laughs> you understand? People that have a connection with God. I did tell you about uh, Fend Shoyen, didn't I? That sold her house. and You remember? So we can jump. We, we, we get some time. We get some time. Now listen. This is impressive. This lady, Hao Yanji, she has the largest church in China. She started with a small group of people. Now, I want you to understand, here in Canada or in the U.S. or whatever, Germany or... Nobody would stop you to pray. Am I right? If you want to pray, go ahead. In China, if they get you getting together, you may get in trouble. They get persecuted. Their church is demolished. Their printing houses demolished. People get put in prison. They catch you with books. They, you go to prison. You, you are tortured. You are beaten. It's not simple. She says, when I see the cross, I cannot help but tell everybody. I cannot do it in human power. I must abide in him. Without him, I can do nothing. They said, what is the reason for your success? And she said, the, only, the Holy Spirit is the only reason for our soul. The Holy Spirit is the only reason. She says, we get together and pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. What did she do? She started to pray from 4 to 6 a.m. with a small group of about 10 people. They started to pray together about more or less 10 people. Every morning from 4 to 6. Do you think that's easy? 
No, it's not easy. It implies commitment and sacrifice to wake up at like 3.30 and 4 a.m. meet. You need to love Jesus a lot more than you love sleep, you know? And so they met from 4 to 6 a.m. every morning. And after a while, they went from 10 to 20 to 100 to 1,000, eventually to 7,000, and they kept praying. And they had 7,000 members, and they kept praying, and they said, you know, what if we increase from 4 to 9, 4 a.m. to 9 a.m.? That's a lot. <laughs> and they said, but some of us have jobs. And this is what she said. This is what we do. We meet and pray. And if you have to go to work, quietly leave, and somebody else comes, and somebody leaves, and continually we just don't stop praying. And there were roughly 150 people praying from 4 to 9. 150 people praying from 4 to 9. And they went to 20,000 members. And then they planted, besides that, another 380 churches in 380 new locations when there was no church. What if each church member would plant 380 churches? Can you grasp it if each church member around the world would get together and pray and through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God, get to people that don't know Jesus? There is no limit to what God can do. We limit Him. Because I'm sorry to say what I say next, but I'm going to say it anyway. Either we are too comfortable or we are too selfish. We love self so much that we have no time for others. You understand? Why don't we pray? It doesn't cost a thing. Why don't we get out of our comfort and say, Lord, we need help. We have friends, we have families, we have co-workers who don't know you. And we need to be transformed. Jesus is coming. What is the benefit if we lose salvation? So, Lord, please, pour your spirit over us. We need to be transformed. We need to be revived. And please, by the way, save my neighbor. You follow me? Why don't we do that? Let me give you another example. Powerful example. Oh, by the way, what does it mean? Abide in me. Jesus says, abide in me, abide in me. A constant receiving of his spirit. An unreserved surrender to service. If you really want to be in Christ, you need to continually, daily, daily be baptized afresh with the Holy Spirit. And daily be happy to be used by God. Let me explain a little. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water. But he who comes after me baptize you with spirit and fire. Have you been baptized with water? Yes, no? If yes, praise the Lord. Have you been baptized with spirit? Ah. That's what Paul said in the New Testament. Hey, what baptism have you been baptized with? Oh, Apollo. What? With water. Have you been baptized with spirit? No. Well, you need to be baptized. <laughs> Do you understand that he who comes after me baptizes you with spirit and fire? Unless we are filled with God's presence, we never have power to change ourselves or our families or anybody else. The church will never have power. And to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said, do not leave. Wait and pray. We need to ask. If you who are evil give good gifts, Jesus said, how much more your Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, if we move on, 
I'm going to give you another example. Very interesting. By the way, we talk about prayer. We pray small prayers and we expect big answers. If you want big answers, you need to pray big prayer. As in business. You cannot do a small investment and expect a big return. Small prayers, small answers. Big prayers, big answers. Hannah, Hans Church. This is amazing. This is unbelievable. I mean, there is a group of people in this church and they have relatives in a city 150 miles away. What city is 150 miles from here? More or less. How far is Vancouver? Huh? 300 kilometers or miles? Miles? That's a lot. Okay. So let's suppose there is a city that is big, 150 miles away from here. What's the point to pray for them? Because they are there and you are here. It's not that it's your neighbor. There is nothing you can do about it. You don't live there to visit them, to give them a bread, to pray with them. To, you have no connection. And they said, we have family. We have relatives. There is no Adventist. There is no Christian in that city. They know nothing about Jesus. What do we do? They said, well, we cannot move. We live here. We have a job. We have a family. And they said, well, let's pray about it. And they got together in Hans' house. And they started to pray. And they prayed and they prayed one day, two days, three days, a month, two months. And they said, oh, nothing happens. And one of them said, well, the Bible says pray until. So let's keep praying. So they prayed and they prayed. After a few months, about, I don't know, four months or so, an old lady got baptized finally, but she had terminal cancer in the fourth stage, metastasis. She was dying. And they were like, this is the answer from God? I mean, God could have baptized somebody young that could do evangelism, could do Bible studies, but this lady is old and she has cancer. What's the point? She's going to die tomorrow. But one of them said, you know what? You cannot understand God's wisdom. God's plans are far from our plans. Let's trust in God and let's keep praying. They kept praying, but then they said, our sister from that city is in bed. She cannot even talk. She cannot even walk. Is our sister. We need to take care of her. So they called a neighbor. Hello? Yeah. Are you the neighbor? Yes. We need somebody to take care of her. Uh, I'm busy. We'll pay you. How much do you pay me? 20 an hour? Okay, sounds good. What do you want me to do? We want you to go and do the shopping, cook, feed her, shower her, clean the house, take care of her. Okay, 20 an hour? Yeah. I keep track of the time? Yeah. I report to you? Yeah. By the way, you need to do something else. What? To read the Bible for her. Well, I don't believe in the Bible. You don't need to. It's a job. We pay you 20 an hour to read. Why would I do that? Because she's unable to even get up her head. She cannot read. Why would I do that? Because that's what we do. We study. And uh, you get paid for it. Okay. What should I read in the Bible? Well, promises to give her hope. Where are the promises? In the Bible. I don't know how to find them. Well, in Psalm. Where is Psalm? In the middle. She opened and she says, oh, it's big. What's Psalm? They say, well, for instance, Psalm 30. Where is it? Between 29 and 31. He said, oh, oh okay. She found Psalm 30. You want me to read it? Yeah. Now? Now, when you go to her. Okay. You pay me for it? Yes. Okay, bye. She goes to the sick lady. 
and she feeds her and she cleans her and she but she didn't she doesn't read because she just cannot stand the Bible, you know. And she didn't read. And they call her, Did you feed her? Yes, did you read? Uh, not yet, I'll do it tomorrow. You must! Okay. Next day she feeds her, she takes her, no reading. Next day, no reading. Next day, the lady died. The hospital, the doctor comes, checks her pulse, checks everything, her vitals, and says she's dead. Covers her, we need to take her to the morgue. She says, no! Why? I forgot to do the ritual. The doctor says, what ritual? You know, Muslims have this ritual, with the, 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 and Catholics have the Ave Maria and the Mass. They, all, every church has a ritual before people die, like the Mass. And the ritual for the Adventist people, it's Psalm 30. And you cannot bury her. They told me, it's must. I need to read Psalm 30 before you take her. Let me read, and then you can take her. They, they pay me for it, and I promise it, I must do the ritual. They said, okay, read it fast before you take her. And she starts reading Psalm 30. You, Lord, brought me up from the dead. What is gained if I am silenced? Can the one that goes down to the pit praise you? Will the dust praise you? But you woke me up and I will proclaim your faithfulness. And while she's reading Psalm 30, the dead lady gets up. And she says, I'm hungry. And the doctor, whoa! And the neighbor says, this ritual works. <laughs> this ritual has power. She says, it's amazing. And she, the neighbor, takes the Bible and goes from door to door, every street. And she goes to the city. And she starts this house, this house, this street, this street, street by street. And she says to every neighbor, I need to read Psalm 30 to you. Why? It's going to change your life. It's going to heal you. It's going to transform you. Even if you are dead, it's going to wake you up. This has power. This is the most powerful ritual. This Bible can literally change you. This Bible has power in it. This book, is a, when I read it to the dead, you heard the story. She got up. Let me read it for you. And she would read the Bible from house to house, from neighbor to neighbor. Over 200 people got baptized together with this neighbor because she would go from house to house, read the Bible, and pray for them. Because a group of people met in Hans' house and prayed for a city 150 miles away. Why don't we pray? I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just judging you. <laughs> I'm not judging you. I'm just making an appeal to you. Shouldn't we love prayer? I mean, come on. Prayer is when you talk to God. Shouldn't we love talking to God? I mean, I love talking to my wife. Shouldn't I more love talking to God? You follow me? But Satan is not afraid when we go to church. Satan is not afraid when we know the doctrines. We should know them. Satan is not afraid when we eat clean. But Satan and his whole host, you remember the quotation, trembles when we pray because he knows when we pray we connect with God with the power and that's when he has no more power over you and therefore he would have us do anything but pray I want to emphasize that when people get together as Jesus commanded not only that God is there with his presence but they receive the Holy Spirit the, when the Holy Spirit comes Power comes. That's when things happen. For instance, Murman's church in Siberia. Siberia, north. When I read the story, it says above 
minus 54 to minus 56 it was in that time. Their church, people were there six months in the oil fields, and then they go south six months to their families. And another group of workers comes for six months. Their church went from 80 to 60 to 40 to 20 to eight people, seven men and one lady. The church had only eight people. And they said, what should we do? Close the church? And they said, why don't we pray and ask God for help? The Bible says whenever two or three pray together, we pray as the disciples did in the upper room when Jesus commanded them as the single solution. The single solution. There is no other one. There is no other power. And they pray for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came, thousands got baptized. Why don't we try it? So the Mormons church in Siberia got together at 6 p.m. But in the morning, they went in the oil fields, cold. In the evening, they came inside to pray. Warm, fireplace. They were tired from work. And when you get tired and you get inside after a full day of work and it's warm, guess what happens? Everybody. And they said, man, we cannot pray because we fall asleep. And one of them says, when we go fishing around 4 or 5 a.m., we go to the lake, we cut a circle in the ice. Tell me, anybody falls asleep fishing? They said, no. Why not? It's cold. Minus 55. Okay, this is the deal. Tomorrow morning, 5 a.m., <clears throat> we meet around the circle in the ice where we go fishing, and we are going to pray there. In the morning, 5 a.m., <clears throat> they went to the lake. They cut a circle in the ice, and they said, if anybody falls asleep, this is the commitment. We all sign. You go in the ice. So you wake up. So you don't pray. You don't sleep during prayer. They met every morning around the circle in the ice. And they said, if one of us fell asleep, got in the water with ice, to know that we pray, we are committed, and we are determined, and we are not going to stop until God answers. And they prayed, and their church went from 8 to 20 to 30 to 80 to 100. And then they had no more room in the church. And they planted five more churches in five villages around them. You read the whole story. It's powerful. Prayer works. It's not Microsoft works. It's prayer works. <laughs> and so, not talking about Microsoft. So, I'm going to jump a little because we have no more time. I don't even know what time it is. It's the time of the end. Whoa, I don't have too much time left over. I'm going to jump a little. Let's go over this. By the way, uh, in uh, Mongolia, there were 20,000 shamans. You know what shamans are? They are Satan worshippers. They talk with the spirits face to face. They are those gurus that talk with Satan, and then they tell people what to do. 20,000 shamans, and a group of people, a small group, started to pray for them, and 50 shamans got baptized, left Satan's worship for God's worship. Isn't that something? Isn't that powerful? It's powerful. Another example, Kenya. Beautiful people. The church grows better than many other places. The church in Brazil, the church in Kenya, the church is growing. Nevertheless, in Nairobi, in the capital, the church was not growing. Because 
in Nairobi, 11 million people city, the capital, all business that happens in the whole country happens in the capital. And people have two, three jobs, and people are so busy with job and this and that that they have no time for church. So the church is growing countryside, but not growing in the capital. So a group of pastors got together, and they said, what can we do? And they said, this is what Jesus says, whenever two or three. So they got together every evening, and they prayed for about half an hour, for a month, for two months, for three months. How long should we pray? They said, you know what? Eleanor says that prayer is the breath of the soul. Let me ask you, how long do you need to breathe? Oh, only two months. Uh-uh. As long as you want to be alive. Stop breathing and you are very dead, trust me. Spiritually, when you stop connecting with God, you are spiritually dead. They said, the Bible says pray without ceasing. So we are going to keep praying. We are not going to make prayer an event. We are going to make prayer a lifestyle. We'll just keep praying. And we are going to ask God to grow the church in Nairobi. So they prayed two months, three months. They said, we don't care. We are not going to stop. After a few months, they got a phone call from a non-denominational pastor. And he says, I discovered today that Sabbath is not Sunday, it's Saturday. I never knew it. And then I googled, and you are the single church that keeps Saturday. Please send me some Bible studies. I need to study it. They did. They sent him Bible studies. He got baptized. And he went to his two churches and talked to them. And many of his churches got baptized. But then, six months later, when all pastors from Nairobi, 11 million people city, all pastors from 2,000 churches, you talk about roughly 2,000 pastors, met together to share resources. This pastor, the just non-denominational pastor, just got baptized. He made 2,000 copies Bible studies. And he gave each pastor a copy. And he says, I want to share with you something that has changed my life. And he shared his story and gave them a Bible study to each. And over 100, I don't remember the number, it's close to 200, 150, 160, 190, whatever. Over 100 non-Adventist pastors got baptized. And they went to their churches. Do you want me to continue the story or you get the picture? You understand? There is no limit. There is no limit to what God can do. Why don't we do it? I asked a group of pastors. I'm not going to tell you in what country. I talked to them. And I said, now tell me, why don't we pray? And they were moved. And some of them had tears in their eyes. And one of them got his hand up. I cannot tell you the country, the name, anything. And he said, pastor, I'm going to be vulnerable and honest. This is why I don't pray more. I do pray. Just do my duty prayer. The reason I don't pray more is because I am afraid. I said, what? He said, I am afraid that if I pray, I have to change. And I am not ready yet. And he said, God is going to take control. And I have to surrender everything. And God may do or say something that I am not comfortable with. Like he told Abraham, move. God may do that, and I am not sure that I am ready to do whatever he says. Isn't that something? And I think that man was honest. That's what we all suffer of. We are afraid what God might do. Am I ready for it? Is, am I going to be okay? We basically are afraid to trust 
God. And He gave His Son for you. He loves you more than you love yourself. We should trust Him more than we trust self. Am I right? But we are afraid. Why? Because we don't know Him. Why? Because you don't spend time with Him and we don't look at the cross. Because when you look at the cross and you know Him, you will trust Him more than you trust self. And so, listen folks, what he says here. A revival of true godliness is the greatest and most urgent of all other needs that we have. She has many, 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 many quotations. But rarely you see so many superlatives together in one paragraph. The greatest, most urgent among all should be our first work. You understand? Basically, she wants to emphasize, this is important. To seek revival should be our first work, literally priority. Our Father is willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask more than we are willing to give gifts to our children. But it is our work by confession, humility. Do you remember the disciples? Do you remember the steps? Humble themselves. Do you remember? Confessed, repented. You remember? Prayed. You remember? Look here again. If we would humble ourselves, confess, repent, and pray. You understand? Revival needs to be expected only, only in answer to prayer. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The outpouring of the spirit in the days of the apostles was the former reign, and the results were glorious. But the latter rain will be more abundant. Remember, the disciples had no power. Jesus, we don't know how you do it. Because we try to, uh, to, to, to deliver people of demons, and they don't. We try to heal sick. And they don't. We, how do you do it? And Jesus said, by prayer and fasting. By the way, you know what fasting means? <laughs> people think that we fast so God may hear our voice. No. You fast that you may hear God's voice. You don't fast to change God, to convince God to obey you. You fast that you would be sensitive to God's voice and you would change and listen to him. We use fasting to manipulate God to give us whatever we ask. Fasting is that you are manipulated and do whatever he asks. You follow me? The disciples understood that. And the disciples prayed together. And because they prayed together and they humbled themselves. And they, you remember all of those things. They repented and they united. And they prayed together for the Holy Spirit. That's the reason they received the Holy Spirit. And they received power. And then they had success. Thousands. But they turned the world upside down. This is what happened. It says that they received the former rain. But the latter rain is going to be more abundant. And then it says, to us today... As to the first disciples, the promise of the Spirit belongs just as much. As they receive the Holy Spirit, we must receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you a little more in the next presentation. You will be in shock. Exactly. But anyway, Christ has promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to His church. The promise belongs to us as much as to the first disciples. <clears throat> Pentecost was introduced by the manifestation of the Spirit with power. The outpouring will come again. Manifestation of the same power in greater extent 
and it will close the work. Isn't that powerful? And usher the kingdom of God. Those sorts of God should have been after kingdom. Ooh, we finished. Can you believe that? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to emphasize God promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. God promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. I remember specifically, and probably you heard me telling the story. I had a friend somewhere in north, and he started to understand. And he said to me, I am praying daily that God fills me with his presence. I am praying every morning. I spend time in prayer, and I say, Lord, I don't want to step out alone. Without you, I am nothing. I need you. Like the song, I need you. You remember the song? I need you every hour. I need you, I need you, I need you. Without you, I am nothing. It's a mess in my heart, in my family, in my church. Without you, I am nothing. I need you, I need you, I need you. Or the other song, come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord. Into my heart, you know? And so he says, Pastor, I started to pray that every morning. Lord, fill me. Fill me, O oh God. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your presence. Without you, I am nothing. Without you, I am zero. Please, separate it from me. Please. And he says, as I was praying, <clears throat> the more I prayed, the more I could sense God's presence with my family. The more I prayed, the more I could sense God's presence in my life. The more I prayed, the more I could see my children obeying me more than before. The more I prayed, the more God would use me. <clears throat> and he says, my life changed. I've been an Adventist all my life, but my life finally changed. I could sense God's working in my life. And he said, if I didn't pray one day, I was too busy. I felt that I could not survive. I felt that it's a disaster. He said, I could, not, I could not make it. It's like when you miss something. And he says, I understood that I became dependent. And prayer is my breathing, is my life. <coughs> and he said, I started to pray for the Holy Spirit to take over me and to use me. And he says, I started to experience God. And he says, I was, for instance, I was driving. You probably know the story. He says, I was driving. <coughs> it was snowing for three days. Three days and three nights. And he says, I was driving, and instead of listening to stupid news, bad news, <coughs> or listening to music, <coughs> excuse me, instead of listening, he said, I was praying, Lord, fill me today. Fill me with your spirit. Use me today. I want to hear your voice. I want to talk with you. Wherever I go to work today, help me bless my work. That people will see, and people will see my character, and will see my compassion, and people will see Jesus in me. I want to be kind. I want to show love. And he was praying. And God, he says, God spoke to me and said, look to the right. So he looked to the right, and he says to his wife, I'm not going to say her name, honey, there is a bump in the field. She says, the whole field has bumps, honey. No, 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 there is a bump that is not normal. It's white, it's far away. She says, the field is white because it's snowing, honey. <clears throat> he said, now God told me to look right. <clears throat> He says, nah, it's your mind. He went to the no U-turn. He turned around on the interstate. He went back to the previous exit. He turned around and came slow, looking right. Sure enough, far in the field, he sees a bump. He stopped the car on the shoulder. He walks through the snow. When he gets there, an old man, old man, gray hair, white robe, fallen in the snow, snowed over. And the man has a 
how you call it here, around his... I don't know how to call it in English. That's... Yes, <clears throat> he has something around his wrist that says his name, and then he says Alzheimer's. The man left nursing home to go home and forgot how to go home. And he dropped, and he was knocked over. <clears throat> so my friend took him in his arms, runs to the, to the car, <clears throat> gets him in the car, drives fast to the closest hospital, and the doctor says, if you were two, three minutes late, it would have been too late. You saved his life. The doctor calls the daughter of the old man. The daughter comes, I'm so glad you didn't hit him with a car. He says, how could I hit him with a car? He was not in the road. Then how did you see him? Was he by the road? No, he was in the field far, fallen, covered with snow. Then she says, people when they drive, they look forward. How, if he was far, covered, how, how did you see him? He said, oh, if I tell you, you think I'm crazy. Tell me. Well, I prayed that God would use me and fill me with his spirit. And God talked to me and said, look right. God talked to you? Are you a prophet? He said, no, I am just a church member. He says, I want to join your church. He said, well, we don't eat pork. Do you eat chicken? Yeah, some of us do. Okay, I eat whatever you eat. But we don't worship Sunday. I don't care when you worship Tuesday. I don't care. I want to join your church. He says, why? Because you have God's presence. The other have only a theory of God. Because you have God's presence visible. The others have only a theory, but no power. There's nothing that we say that would convince anybody, but only God's presence in us that would work. Do you understand? When are we going to do that? If not today, then when? God is calling you to make a decision. God is appealing through the Spirit in your heart. Talking to your mind and saying, don't worry about transformation. You cannot do it, but I will do it for you. Don't worry about results. You cannot do it, but I will do it for you. Don't worry about salvation, my kingdom. You don't deserve it. You cannot do it, but I will do it for you. But you do worry about prayer because that's how we connect. So please, God says, <clears throat> make a decision to spend time with me because that's going to change everything. Make a decision. Make a decision today that you are going to make prayer a priority. And say, Lord, please wake me up tomorrow morning before <clears throat> I start business, before my family starts screaming, I'm hungry, before everything happens, wake me up so I can spend time with you in prayer and the word. And Lord, I give you permission to use even cold water, whatever you need, just wake me up. I give you permission because, Lord, I want you. I want you more than life. I want you more than job. I want you more than health. I want you more than blessings. I want you more than anything. I need you. Please, wake me up. Because I want to spend time. When you pray that prayer, God is actually going to wake you up. I could give you story after story to prove it. I don't know if you know the story. I don't have time. When I was in the army, I would pray every morning that God would wake me up, and he would wake me up around 4.35. So before the instruction started, I had time hidden under the blanket because it was against the law to pray or to study or to have Bible. I had quotations and Bible verses that my girlfriend, now my wife, would send me, and I would, under the blanket, with a little flashlight, under the blanket, hidden, I would study and then pray and then get dressed, and then they would blow the trumpet and everybody would get up. God would wake me up every morning. 
many stories. I don't have time right now. My time is up. I have only one minute left over. But say, Lord, wake me up tomorrow morning. I really want to spend time with you. And that's going to change your life. You don't need to understand how. You cannot understand God anyway, how God works. But you do need to be connected. Would you make that decision? I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. And take one minute and pray privately. It's between you and God. It's nobody's business but yours. But between you and God, say, Lord, help me because I cannot. Help me. I give you permission. Please help me. And then if it happens that after a week you fail and one day you don't wake up, don't stop. Satan would want you to stop. The Bible says the righteous would fall seven times and he would get up again. Don't stop. Get back to prayer and back on track. Because as you do that, God will keep working on you. Let's pray and then I will have a closing prayer. One minute, everybody private. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of prayer and for the promise that you answer in your time, in your way, but better than we imagine to pray. Father, you know every person, you know every heart, you know every prayer, you know every mind. Please answer to them according to your grace, not to our merits, but according to your love. And in Jesus' merits, in his name. Answer and help us, each one of us, to get closer and closer to you every day, to know you, to be filled with your presence, to be transformed, and to become a blessing to others around us, and to be ready for Jesus' soon coming. Complete our prayer, because you know exactly what we need. We pray in Jesus' name and we know that you love us and we thank you in faith for answering. We love you. Amen.